she was about 65, close to my mom's age, and he said that his, his mom's death really began to put things into perspective for him in his life about what was important and what matters and things like that. And it was interesting to me because um, I've seen this guy's life. You know, you can get a, enough about a person's life at the gym to know pretty much how they are, right? If you've been, you're there for a while. And, uh, you know, foul mouth and doesn't believe in God and different things like that. And I'm always trying to witness and tell people about the Lord. And, and uh, so it was interesting to see that some of the seeds I've been planting in him, I could tell he was listening by the way he was talking to me about how he had lost his mom. So he said, it, put it in perspective. And I told him, you know, I, I over the years have, have always had a perspective without having to lose things, probably because I'm in the ministry and I see other people go through things and I go through things. And so I've learned to have a good perspective without having to lose something. Let me know that's important. Amen. It's really important to get yourself in a position in your life to where you're learning from other people's struggles, tragedies, problems, so that when something happens, because you're going to go through struggles, you're going to go through problems. When they come your way and it knocks at your door, you are ready and prepared and already have a perspective on how to handle that. And uh, I want to talk about something this morning that's really going to help a lot of people, I believe, in, in Jesus' name. But I want to show a video in just a second. But how many... How many know that we come down this Fort Worth Drive every time we come to church? And a lot of times it's hard to get into the church because cars are coming. It's even harder to get out. Cars are coming pretty fast on this road. Um, if you get down further that way, it gets up to around 60 miles an hour when you get close to the train bridge down there heading towards Argyle. Well, something happened this week. Many of you might have known about it, but I want to take advantage of it because it was really, really uh, sad and at the same time really powerful. And I'm going to show a video in just a second, but uh, husbands and wives, how many, how many know, God forbid, how horrible it would be if one of you was driving, one of your spouses was driving down that road out there and uh, going about 35 miles an hour and all of a sudden another car came into your lane and hit your spouse going 92 miles an hour head on. How many know that that would change your life forever when you get the news that your spouse has been killed by somebody coming into the other lane. Well, this last week, uh, you know, these things happen all the time, of course, but when it's somebody who's famous or known, it gets more publicity, but that's, that's good sometimes. So this basketball player, ex-NBA basketball player, and now assistant coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder named Monty Williams, uh, he's uh, got the news last, last February 11th that his wife had been killed in that accident. She was 44 years old. They have five kids ages 5 to 17. And three of the kids were in the car with her. They all lived, thank God, but she was killed and also was the driver. Uh, but can you imagine 92, the impact at 92 miles an hour of two cars? And I use that example out there. God forbid it would ever happen out here. But I've, I, I'm here a lot during the week in the office, and I hear accidents all the time. I hear big bangs, and I go out there, and there's accidents. And I just want you to think for a second before I show you this video just for a second, how would you react? How would you react? Just, just for a second, just go there. And of course, you might have a chance later to really reflect, but what would be your first reaction? What would you be your second reaction, your third reaction? Maybe it's not your spouse. Maybe it's a brother, a sister, a best friend, somebody who really means a lot to you because if you're not married, that's not going to mean the same. Your parents. Um, you know, what would you respond? How would you respond? How would you handle that? Well, I want to show a quick clip here of this man and how amazingly, amazingly, amazingly he reacted to the loss, the tragic loss of his wife. And for just a little three-minute video, really pay attention to the words that he says. A little bit. She said, honey, Jesus can heal your heart. And I'm evidence that God can work it out. I don't care what you're going through. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain. But it will work out because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just 
numb that and it's not true, but it is true. All you got to do is look around you. Get outside of these walls and you know it's true. This will work out. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean we don't have tough times and we're going to have tough times. What we need is the Lord. And that's what my wife tried to exhibit every single day. Now, I'm going to close with this, and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. And we, as a group, brothers united in unity, should be praying for that family because they grieve as well. So let's not lose sight of what's important. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate. Because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. But I got five crumb snatchers I got to deal with. <laughs> I love you guys for taking time out of your day to celebrate my wife. We didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. I'll miss holding her hand. I'll miss talking with my wife. Um, Sam and Coach Donovan probably couldn't figure out why I always wanted to get out of the office, uh, me and Mo Cheeks. Um, Mo probably wanted to go do something else, but we always wanted to get out of the office. I just enjoy being with my wife. I enjoy being with my family. And most of the times we didn't do anything. We'd just be at the house sitting around um, doing nothing. I'm going to miss that. Let's not lose sight of what's important. God is important. What Christ did on the cross is important. Let's not lose sight of that family that also lost someone that they love. I love you guys. I hope I get a chance to hug and shake a hand and give a kiss on the cheek. But let's keep what's important at the forefront. Thank you. Grab your spouse's hand and hold it and thank God you can. Because just like that, it, it changes. Just like that. Amen? Maybe it's your family member. Maybe it's your mom or dad, whoever's around. Grab that hand and say, thank God I can grab your hand right now. Because, you know, a lot of times we're going through marital problems. We're going through family problems. We're going through things of this life. And we lose perspective on what really matters, like he said. And, 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 and I guarantee you this morning, if you are in any kind of uh, argument with your spouse or any kind of fight at home or any kind of problem at work or whatever it is, you, if this happened to you, those things would seem so small. They would seem so ridiculous, but it's too late. Amen? So we've got to live a life that realizes that every moment matters, every second matters. And how am I going to handle what happens to me and comes my way? Amen. I don't know about you, but I want to handle it like that. Amen. I want to be able to have the resilience to be able, you, you know, if you're looking at that guy close up and how many could just, you don't even know the guy, but you could sense the humility, the fact that he truly loves God and that he was being sincere when what he was saying. He looked like Rocky. You could tell he's shed more tears than his head can probably handle. They, uh, the part that you didn't hear about that story, I watched another video that was longer, is they were together since college. And uh, he was healed of a heart issue. You caught the little end of that right there. And I was watching it the first time without seeing the whole video, and he says, this will work out, this will work out, this will work out. What an amazing thing to be in that position of, of needing everybody else to love him and needing everybody else to minister to him and he's ministering to everybody else. 
this will work out. How, how hard would that be to say this will work out? How many have got kids? How many have got a spouse? How many know how hard that would be when your life is just in one, from one second to the next change and all of a sudden as a parent, you are the father or mother of five kids. Five years old, the youngest kid. That's a lot of explaining to do for the rest of that kid's life. Amen? And he's able to have the resiliency to say this will work out. And he said the, story, the other part of the story was amazing was when he was in college, he was an, obviously an amazing basketball player. And he was playing at Notre Dame, and he met his wife there. And he got the news one day as a college athlete that he was going to have to stop playing basketball. But he said, if you keep playing, you will die. You will die if you keep playing basketball. You have a heart condition. And so he said that last part you heard there is he went to her dorm, and they cried together. And he said, you know, this is what the doctor said. And after that, she said, God will heal your heart. <laughs> and God healed his heart. And he played 10 or 12 years in the NBA and became a coach and all that. God healed his heart. So when he said, God will work it out, he's faced that kind of trial before. How many know when we're in a trial, we have to look back at how many times God has worked it out before. And if he's worked it out before, he will work it out again. Amen? Because there's nothing that's impossible for God. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 15. If you'll just take some notes here. I want to ask you, I want to state, make a statement this morning. That this world that we're living in right now is not everything. It was mentioned at the offering. It was mentioned at the prayer. This is not what matters. We, we, we have to do things to invest in the eternal kingdom of God. But this is not it. How many know if this was it, it'd be sad? If this was it, it'd be sad because for that man, life would be over. Really, literally, if, if, if his life was not in Jesus Christ and his wife was his life, you could tell his wife outside of God was his life. He would leave basketball practice and leave games and wanted to go be with his wife. They were best friends. Now his best friend in his life has been ripped away from him and taken from him. What does a person like that do if we have no hope in God and we have no hope in eternity? Amen. Now I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 15. Say amen if you're there. It says, for if, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen... Your faith is futile, meaningless. You are still in your sins. How many know if Jesus does not rise from the dead, we are still sinners? Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That means it's over. That means the lights go out. That means that, that there's, there's no hope without Jesus rising from the dead. Now watch this. Verse 19. If in this life only... And I want you to underline that if you have your Bible or highlight it. Or if you highlight things, underline it so you see that. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Amen? Amen. Father, touch these words for the next few minutes. God, don't allow us to be sitting here calloused. Don't allow us to sit here Bored. Don't allow us to sit here bothered or thinking about next week and miss out on this opportunity to, 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 to see the tragedy that has happened to this man. It's not us. It wasn't us. It wasn't our family. It wasn't our city. God, but it could happen to any of us. And God forbid this would happen to one of us. Father, what would we do? How would we handle it? Where is our perspective in life? God, help us to realize that this morning. And devil, you are a liar and you are the father of all lies, and you cannot deceive any person in this church. You cannot cause any person in this church to miss out on what God wants to say to them this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. How many know if this, if this is it, this is, there's nothing to look forward to? This is it. Now, a lot of you here might say, and this is, I'm going to go somewhere with this, really important, because a lot of you might say, man, my life hasn't been that great. Uh, if my life was better, maybe that would mean something. I really have never had a lot of money. I've really never been famous. I've really never had a lot of things. So it's not that big of a deal. But a lot of times we think, well, if I had that person's money, or if I had that person's fame, or if I had that person's things, then maybe I'd be sad if I lost it. And that's kind of our thought, thought process a lot of times is that we, we wish we had more or we could do more. I always like to use the example of Solomon when I talk about people who had everything. Because even this man who, who has made millions of dollars 
and is famous and is known anywhere he goes and had a great life and a great marriage, it sounds like, and serves God. Even if he has all that, he has nothing compared to what King Solomon had. And, and we need to look at the examples of the Bible to realize how much King Solomon had and how much he lost and what his perspective was on it. Now, it's been a few years, but I read something about this similar many years ago. But it, it, it's worth saying again this morning on what happened. Most of you know that when I preach, I like to, if I can, take advantage of things that are going on in the world. If something happens like this, I want to preach on it. I want to deal with it. I want to, I want to take advantage of something that's in the news and that's fresh, something that you might have seen on TV, and try to talk about it. So I think this is something to take advantage of. So if you're taking notes, the question would be, if this world is all we have, if this is it, or is this it? You might even ask yourself, is this it? I want to tell you about King Solomon. Listen to this statement. King Solomon didn't just have money. You know, you say, you say something about somebody, you go, man, that person's got money. King Solomon didn't have money. King Solomon had wealth. Wealth is greater than having money. Wealth is where you have so much money that you could use it for, for wood in the fireplace. You could use it uh, to go to the bathroom. You could use it to blow your nose. You could use it, throw it out the window if you wanted to. Some people have so much money that they, don't, they could use it for paper plates. They could use it for napkins. They could use it, obviously it's dirty, but you get what I'm trying to say. Whatever they wanted to use it for, they have so much wealth that they sit there and literally think about um, other things and they're making money. I mean, their bank account is just going. You think about somebody like Bill Gates today. Bill Gates just keeps getting more and more wealthy. And did you realize that Bill Gates has given away over $40 billion and he's still super, super rich? The more he gives away, the more he gets. Why? Because the world a lot of times understands the principle of giving better than church does. Amen? They just give, 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 give. But you get to a place where you become so wealthy, and none of us in here have any idea what that is, being wealthy, okay, it, where you, you just are so wealthy that you don't even know what to do. You have resources. Solomon didn't have money. He had gold, he had silver, and he had resources. It says uh, History Channel did something on him back in like 2008 that was really interesting. They did a story on him, and they went in and studied a lot of stuff. And they said he had so much power and wealth that he said who had money and who didn't. He could literally go to Bill Gates and tell Bill Gates, you are going to be on food stamps for the next two years of your life. And Bill Gates would be on food stamps. Or he could go to Bill Gates and say, your $10 is worth a trillion and his $10 would be worth a trillion. That's how powerful King Solomon was. Now watch this. He had in his riches, I'm just going to throw, these are, in, if you want to read these later, 1 Kings 10, 13 to 15 and 2 Chronicles chapter 9. Or just write down 1 Kings 10, 2 Chronicles 9. I don't want you to go there this morning, but that's where this kind of mentions the wealth that King Solomon had. And I'm going somewhere with this. King Solomon had, uh, would receive every year 666 talents of gold. Okay, 666 talents of gold every year. So you could say that for us, that like that was his salary. Okay. That was his salary. You look at someone like that's in the NBA or NFL or something, or even somebody who has a big corporate job, they have a salary. That means they get a certain amount of money every year, but on top of that, they get what? Bonuses. On top of that, they get incentives. On top of that, they get endorsements. And so just his salary alone, Solomon, was 666 talents of gold a year. How many want to know what that is? Okay, that doesn't mean anything to us, talents, okay? 666 talents of gold is the equivalent to 1,109 ounces of gold. 1,109 ounces of gold. At current market prices in 2016, an ounce of gold is going for around, it changes just like everything else, around $1,230 an ounce. Okay, $1,230 an ounce. So when you multiply what he would get a year in... in, in um, in, in, in uh, what was the first word I said? Uh, thank you. Talents times the six hundred uh, times the amount of gold and what it was worth per ounce. He was getting close to one billion dollars a year in salary. How many can live off that salary? One billion a year. Now that's just salary, and you got to realize too that this one billion dollars was not two thousand sixteen. This was thousands of years ago. Everything goes up. Like when we hear someone say, well, I used to pay, you know, my uncle's here. And he said, I used to pay one time 20 cents a gallon for gas. It's kind of hard to imagine that, right? How, how much that would have been back then. Or he was telling us about some cars. My uncle blows me away with my dad how they remember dates and numbers. 
He'll be telling a story and be like, back in 1948, we bought this car for this much amount of money, and it was this kind of car. And I'm thinking, I can't remember the car I drove five years ago. This guy's talking about 1948, amen? But he's telling these things, you know, how much a car cost then, $2,000. So we know that everything goes up. So to hear a billion-dollar salary would not even make sense for us today. Now listen to this. I'm closing with this little part here that's important. The History Channel documentary in 2008 says that taking into account all the extra money he would have made in his lifetime on those kind of things, incentives and bonuses and and investments that he would make, that his net worth would have been about $850 billion. To put that in perspective, the richest man in the world right now is still Bill Gates, and he's worth, today, I looked, $87 billion. King Solomon was worth $850 billion dollars thousands of years ago okay how many know that's a lot of money that's he owns the world literally he's not just the wealthiest man in the world he was the what king okay he was the king of the world and he was god's child okay he was at one time in good standing with god okay so it'd be like bill gates today not only being rich but being a god-fearing believing jesus christ christian that'd be awesome wouldn't it so instead of him giving his $50 billion away to philanthropy, he'd be giving his money away to help probably build churches. And that would be awesome. So King Solomon had that power. And then add one more thing. The funny thing about that is, is that today, Bill Gates doesn't have 700 wives he has to take care of. So his, his increase might have gone down a little faster, right? But it says that if you add what he had from what King David gave him, because remember he was first, King David was super rich, that they would have had a net worth together, together of over $200 trillion. Trillion in our money today. To put that in perspective, our nation is $18 trillion in debt. And they had $220 trillion net worth. Why do I say all that? Watch why. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and I'll tell you why. Is this world all we have? I know, and you know, and if you don't know, you'll know by the time you leave. No, it's not. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, remember, not just, not just somebody, but somebody who was wealthy beyond our own imagination, said these words himself in the book he wrote by the inspiration of God and the Holy Spirit. He who loves, verse 10, Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver nor he who loves abundance with increase this also is vanity when goods increase verse 11 they increase who eat them so what profit the owners except to see them with their eyes watch this the sleep of a laboring man is sweet whether he eats little or much with the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. I mean, a lot of people who have a lot of wealth don't get a lot of sleep because their God and their focus and their priority is money and things. They eat, drink, walk, and think money. And Solomon, who is the authority on money and knows everything about money because he had everybody's money, says it's vanity to have a lot of money. So all of us in here this morning, that inside of our hearts at one point or another, or one time a day, or once a week, or once a month, we think, gosh, I wish I had more money. Gosh, I wish I knew what it'd be like to be rich. Why don't you just take the words of King Solomon, just like you take the words of Monty Williams there, the basketball player, that this life is not all there is, and money is not all life's about. Take the words of somebody else who's had it all. Now, I know that the argument always continues to go, and I've said it myself. I'd like to be the one to, I'd like to make my own statement on that. I'd like to have it and be able to say, you know, that those words. But I am also in the kind of person who like to look at other people's things and, and learn from their mistakes. Let's go to the book of Luke chapter 16. This is going to end good. Don't worry. Luke chapter 16. If this world is all we have, we are miserable people. Luke 16. This is a familiar story in the Bible. Luke chapter 16 And this is going to help us get some perspective this morning. I love what, as you're getting to Luke 16, 
I love what this man said, and I hope you caught it, and I'm going to read it just in case you did it. I'm going to quote him so I don't misquote him. You know, when you're listening to something, you catch some things more than others. He says, let us not forget there were two people in this situation. I'm sorry, but I'm just not really sure that that would be my thoughts at the funeral of my wife. I might be able to think about that later. I don't think I'd be able to be thinking about that at that moment when I'm celebrating my wife's life and and mourning. I don't know if I'd be able to stop and say, let's not forget that there's another family involved here. Because as human beings, it's automatically human nature to say, I wish she would have, well, she did die. I wish something else would have happened or I wish she wouldn't have woke up that whatever. There's all kinds of ill will. But to stop and say, let's not forget there was two people who died in this situation is, is that's a man of God. That's something that can only be said by God. Amen. He says that family needs prayers as well. And he says, we have no ill will towards this family. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but that'd be difficult to say. Amen. That'd be tough. Regardless of the situation, when you hear that your wife has been killed in an accident by a man going 92, a woman going 92 miles an hour, it'd be difficult to say, I have no ill will towards that person. But I believe he said those words from his heart. And he actually forgave that family. Amen? This is hard for my family, but it'll work out. But the thing I want to focus on the most was that the thing I loved the most about his entire speech, the forgiveness was amazing. But he said these words in case you didn't catch it. He said, let's not lose sight of what's important. Write that in your notes. Let's not lose sight of what's important. Okay? Let's not lose sight of what's important. If you don't get anything else out of this message this morning, get that. Let's not lose sight of what really matters. Okay? Everything that we go through in life is for a reason, but we must keep focus on what really matters. And he said this. I love this. He said, people would come to me and say, I'm sorry you've lost your wife. We hear that all the time. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. That's words that you say to somebody who's lost a loved one. But he said these words that were so powerful. He says, when you lose something, you don't know where it is. He says, I know where my wife is. She's in heaven. How many know those are some powerful words from somebody who's in the darkest, deepest point of his entire life? And he said it with such a conviction. He didn't say, oh, thank you. I have not lost my wife. When you lose something, it's because you don't know where it is. My wife is in heaven. How many know this morning we can say that with boldness, that if someone dies in faith in Jesus Christ, they are not lost. They are found, praise God. They are in heaven, amen? And their names are in the book of life. And the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. She went immediately from that car accident, not into some place called purgatory. She didn't go to some place of silence. She didn't go to some place of waiting judgment. She went directly because of her faith in Jesus Christ into the presence of the living God. Amen. Because Jesus Christ saved her on the cross. And he was able to say in the darkest point of his life, we did not lose her. I know exactly where she is. That's hope. That is hope. Luke 16 Is this life all we have? Read this with me. Say amen if you're there. Verse 19. There was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Sounds like Solomon, wealthy. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this fixed between us is a gulf, a great gulf, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot and those from there cannot pass to us. 
He said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest also they come to this place of what? Torment. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one risen from the dead. Why do I read that verse? Because we're asking the question, is this life all we have? No, it's not. The Bible says that when we die, we go of one to, two, to one of two places. Some of you might be in here saying, come on, pastor, we know that. Yeah, but how often do you think about it? Come on, we know that verse. Yeah, but you know there's a whole lot of churches today that aren't preaching that there's a hell? Did you know there's a whole lot of beliefs today that are not talking about hell? That hell's kind of somehow disappeared? Or, or hell's maybe full? The Bible says that hell exists. And I've always told you that you can't appreciate heaven if you don't realize that you've been saved from hell. You can't really understand how amazing it's going to be in heaven when you realize that hell is where we were supposed to be. That's the place that as a sinner, I deserve to go. Amen? And so we read this to understand what is, what we say, if this world is all we have, is this world all we have? Well, Jesus answered that and said, no, it's not. This is not all we have. Now I want you to go over to the book of Mark. We're in Luke. Just go back to the left a little bit. Matthew, Mark, chapter, chapter 9. How many are still with me? Yeah. All right. Matthew, chapter 9. I'm going to run through this quickly. Someone's going to get something good out of this. I want you to understand that this life is not it. This is not it. We are just passing through. And if you live to be 100 years old, that is nothing compared to the life expectancy of eternity. It's just a vapor. It's just a moment. So we've got to really understand, what are we doing now? What are we doing today? What are we doing that matters? Jesus said this about hell in Mark chapter 9. We know this from our judgment place. Verse 42 i got to get there myself. I'm in the, there we go. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands and go to hell into the fire that shall be quenched, never be quenched, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maim, lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire and where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Why do I read that? Because we have to understand and tell other people hell exists. It's a real place. That's not a popular subject. And I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to go on to the good part. But I want you to understand that we are a church and we are a people who believe in all of the word of God. And we can't believe in heaven if we don't believe in hell. And we can't believe in life if we don't believe in death. And we can't believe in Jesus if we don't believe in the devil. Amen. You got to believe it all. You have to believe everything the Bible says. And Jesus took some time here to say something very important. He didn't say that it was some mental place that you go to of torment. He said it's a physical place. And when he said where the worm does not die, that means it's a physical place. And he said the fire is not quenched. Some people have a belief that sounds good, but it's not biblical. That, okay, we do go to hell when we die if we don't know Jesus. But we'll go and we burn up and it's over. That's not what the Bible says. You're not consumed. The Bible says where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I don't want to go there. I'm not going there. Because Jesus Christ made a way. But how many people today do we have like Lazarus Sorry, like the rich man who have everything this world has to offer. And when Bill Gates, if he does not know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, when he passes into eternity, when he dies, he's going to go to this place I just read. And his money will do nothing for him. And as a matter of fact, let me tell you something more important than that. His name will not even exist. Today you say the word Bill Gates Anywhere in the world, people know who he is. In hell, that name, if he's not saved, means nothing. Did you recognize in that story of Lazarus something very important? That the old, that the rich man had no name? Did you recognize that? It said the rich man 
went to hell, but they did not mention her name, but the beggar who went to heaven. Then that does not mean that all rich people go to hell and all poor people go to heaven. That's not what that means. Okay? But in this story, it says the beggar, his name was what? Lazarus. Why did he have a name? Because when you get saved and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. Your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. And the Bible tells us that if we do not put our faith in Jesus Christ like that basketball player did and have the faith to say what he said, I know where my wife is. If we don't put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says one day we will stand before God and he will say these words, if you don't believe me, that your name does not exist in hell. He will say, Jesus is his or her name in the book of life. And the Bible says in Revelation, Jesus will look at that book and he will say, yes, it is, Lord, or no, it's not. And if the name is not there and Jesus does not say, yes, Myra Frank's name is in the Lamb's book of life. Yes, Jamila Brown's name is in the Lamb's book of life. Yes, Paul Platt's name is in the Lamb's book of life. If he does not say your name, God will say these words, I know you not. Depart from me, doer of iniquity. And the Bible says you will be cast into the lake of fire. We need more preaching like that today. So people will repent of their sins and get their lives right with God because just like heaven exists, hell exists. This is not all we have. This is not it. There is an eternal life waiting for us. Guess what? We just get to choose where we go. Amen. So, the other side of that is heaven. The other side of that is being with God forever. Amen? Amen. Let's look at that real quick. Heaven. John said, sorry, Jesus said in John 14, some of the greatest verses, verse 1 through 4, you'll recognize them. Let not your heart be troubled. I promise you, this basketball player, Monty Williams, has read this verse a lot in the last week. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many mansions. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know the way. In my Father's house are many mansions. Listen, church, our citizenship is not of the United States. Our citizenship is not of the Congo. Our citizenship is not of Mexico. Our citizenship is not of El Salvador. Our citizenship is not of Costa Rica. Our citizenship is in heaven this morning. We are born and blood bought this morning, and that is our citizenship, heaven. When they say, are you a citizen? Say, yes, I'm a citizen of heaven. And then you'll get a good conversation. Philippians chapter 3, let's see what the Bible says about heaven. Philippians chapter 3, how many are still here? You haven't shut me off, right? Amen. Amen. While you're looking, I'm going to grab a Kleenex. Tell somebody next to you you love them. Have a wood pulpit, not a clear one. Verse 18 of chapter 3 there. For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. Who set their mind on earthly things. Verse 20. For our What? Citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be comforted, that it may be conformed, sorry. Church, do you realize that that woman's body 
not being mean, was probably not in good shape. Being in an accident head on 92 miles an hour. But that physical body that was maimed by a car, she was in a suburban too. And the other girl was in a car. Big suburban. 92 miles an hour is not going to help much in anything. And that body was probably maimed. But the Bible tells us right here that as soon as that happened, she was given a new body. Amen. She was given a new body. And now she's not in a suburban She's in clothes of linen, amen? And she's standing right before God in the presence of him. And we, as his husbands, her husband said, should be jealous of her that she is where we want to be. Amen. You can love this world all you want, but I'm ready to go home. Amen. I'm ready to be with Jesus. If it's not today, if it's not next year, and I didn't get very many amens on that, y'all just keep loving this world if you want. I want to be with Jesus. Amen. I'm ready to see him. There's nothing this life has for me that excites me. There's nothing that this life has that I want. I'm going to be here as long as he wants me to be preaching his gospel. But I want to see, as I said last week, Jesus. Here's three things to end on. Three things to focus on. If we realize that this life is not it, here's three things you can focus on this morning. Number one, obviously, stay focused on heaven. Stay focused on the fact that there is going to be eternity with God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Revelations 22. 1 to 5 says, the angel showed me the river of of the water of life. Go there with me real quick because we don't talk about heaven a lot. We don't talk about it enough. God doesn't even really give us a whole, 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 whole lot to talk about because he wants us to be surprised. He wants us to be amazed when we get there. Amen. So go to Revelations 22. Let me hear those Bibles turning. Verse 1. Let's read this real quick. Revelation 22. Give me an amen when you're there. Verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And watch this, no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him and they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. See that? His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. And they will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Did you know that you and I have never reigned before? But we're going to reign. That means we're going to be kings and queens. And we're going to reign with God. Amen. We're going to be important. In verse 4. Sorry, chapter, I, meant, I meant, didn't tell you the chapter. Next thing, 21, go back one chapter. It says, verse 4, 21 of Revelation, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Amen? And then when we think about heaven, there's one verse that you need to know. Because he doesn't give us more than that. He doesn't give us a lot. Because I believe that he's like, I believe Walt Disney ain't got nothing on God. Amen. Walt Disney has nothing on God when it comes to creativity and what he wants to have for us. But he said these words through Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.9. It's top 10 in my top 10 verses probably. It says, eye has not seen and ear has not heard all the things. Or neither has it entered the heart of man all the things that I have prepared for those who love me. Amen. Amen? Amen? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. That means that on this earth, it hasn't even been invented. Hasn't even thought. Of, and when you think about the, invent, the inventive people today and the innovative people today and the crazy roller coasters and amusement parks and amazing things, movies and all these things that, that entertain us, the Bible says that it hasn't even entered into the heart of man, the things he has prepared for us. Amen? So is there something more than this life? Yes, there's heaven. Mansions, amen? Things that are waiting. So number two, problem is sometimes we get so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. So don't do that. Keep your eye on heaven as a goal. 
Keep your eye on heaven as a focus to say, I'm, I'm, when, you, when it gets really bad, you say, you know what, I'm just passing through. This, this, this is just temporary. But as you keep that as a focus, you ask God, God, what can I do while I'm here? What can I do here? Watch this. Number two, what can I do here to impact heaven? What can I do here to make a difference in eternity? Proverbs 11.30 gives the simplest answer in the Bible. Win souls. He who wins souls is wise. If you, listen, I'm going to make a statement, not to make your feelings hurt, but to wake you up and shake you up and get you doing something for God. If you are not winning souls, what's the opposite of wise? Okay, don't be foolish. If you have never led someone to Jesus Christ in a a one-on-one prayer, if you have not witnessed to people and told people about Jesus, you need to start doing something for God because he says he who wins souls is wise. That's not for the outreach team or for the evangelist or for certain people. I still believe that Jesus said in the Great Commission, go and preach the gospel to all nations. He says that's for everybody. So you don't take that in a way of, oh, I'm a failure. Take that in a way of, I better get to work. I better start doing something for the Lord. I better start telling people about what Jesus has done for me. Listen, the the bottom line is, unfortunately, most of us are not going to get the opportunity that he did to be on TV and to have that played across the world. I would love to have that opportunity. I'd hate to go through what he went through, but I'd love to have the opportunity to tell the world about Jesus. I'd love it. But the bottom line is most of us aren't going to get that opportunity because most of us aren't famous. Amen. Some of you in here might be famous, but most of us aren't famous. So we're not going to get that opportunity. So we have to win souls on a daily basis. We have to pass out tracts at the grocery store. And we have to tell people about Jesus at work. And we have to witness to people about the Lord. Because Jesus said, God said, he who wins souls is wise. So we need to be doing something. Come on, smile at me. Give me a smile. I didn't say it for condemnation. I said it for pat on the butt. Get moving. Amen. Let's do something for the Lord. Because God says in the word of Matthew 6, it was read, I think, today, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. Last one, number three. First one is we focus on heaven. Amen. Number two, what can I do here to impact heaven? And number three, this is something we can do every moment, every day. Go, how can I glorify God in my life? Let me tell you something. I commend that man because he glorified God at the darkest, deepest, most horrible moment of his life. He glorified God. He's in the sports world. I like sports. I watch things about sports. And I saw a lot of people this last week that I know are not believers that were affected by his words. One man said, even came out and said, I'm not sure if I believe in God, but this man has me thinking. That's the kind of life I want to live. I might not be able to change someone's mind, but I want to live a life that makes somebody else think about the God that I believe in. Amen. Some way, somehow, God, how can I glorify you in my life? And, and, and sometimes we say, well, I don't, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't, I don't want to have to have something tragic. No, we don't want things to happen that are tragic. But listen, we live in a real world, in a real life. And if you think about it, if you go back 5, 10, 15 years of your life, we have all suffered some tragedies. We've all gone through some crazy things. And I believe that probably most of the time, we don't do our best job of making sure that God gets glorified. And God allows those things to happen. You know, you think about that tragedy, horrible, horrible tragedy. But God took that tragedy and said, I know there's, I can use this. I can use this because I know that man will be faithful with what I take from him, just like Job was. And man, he could have sulked and he could have said whatever, but man, he stood there and preached Jesus. Amen. Amen. He said, Jesus Christ. And, and it was at the part where he was forgiven and it was at the part where he was forgetting and it was at the part where they couldn't cut it out. 
So when they showed that video all over the world, they would either have to beep over it or something. But Jesus Christ got the glory out of that thing. So whatever you do, live your life in a way to give God glory. So they might even forget the situation at the end of the day. But they say, God got the glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone, listen, you know you were created to give glory to God? Elbow the person next to you. Softly or hard, whatever they need. And tell them you were born to glorify God. How can no one's elbowing anybody? I'm giving you permission to elbow the person. You blame it on me. Come on, did you tell them? You were born to glorify God. That's why you were made. We lose perspective sometimes on why we're here. Oh, I got a job. I got a career. I got a... No, you were born to glorify God. That's what the Bible says. You, want to, you don't believe me? Listen to what the Bible says. I have formed him... Yes, I have made him whom I have created for my glory. Y'all hear that? Let me read it again. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name. Everyone who is called by my name, it says. That doesn't say some of you. Everyone who is called by my name, I have created for my glory. What am I here for? People ask to glorify God. What is my purpose in life, people ask, to glorify God? What am I doing here? What? To glorify God. Amen. Are you doing it? Am, am I doing it? Are we doing it? Are we glorifying God? He says, I have formed him, yes, I have made him to gro- bring glory to my name. And here's the words, as the musicians come this morning, here's the words in Revelation, closing up the book, that the Bible says we're going to sing. Here's the story. We sing that song, Worthy is, is uh, the Lamb. Worthy is He. We sing those songs about Him being worthy, and that comes out of the book of Revelation. It says, You are worthy, verse 11 of chapter 4, O Lord. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. What can I do while I'm on this earth? What am I supposed to do while I'm here? Stay focused on heaven. Next time you're going through a trial and it seems like, man, this, this, this world stinks. Say, yeah, it does. This world does stink. But I'm, but I'm not of this world. I'm just passing through. How many have ever been driving on a trip? How many have ever taken a trip outside of town on, in a car? Anywhere through Texas. You're going to go through some cities that you can't wait to get out of. And most of the time, if, sometimes you can blink and you're out of them. But if you are stuck in one of those cities, and some people may, they, they might love that city, but you're driving through that little city, everything's run down, and you're just passing through to get to your destination. Car might break down there. Might have to stop and find something to eat. Might have to get gas. Whatever it is. And you go, man, I don't like this city. I'm glad I don't live here. Come on, how many times have we said that going through Texas to go to Colorado for the conference or for camp or whatever? I'm sure glad I don't live here. Oh, why would anybody live here? That's the kind of attitude we need to have to this world. Why would anybody want to love this world? This world has nothing for me. This world does nothing for me. This, have you ever noticed this world doesn't give anything to you? All this world does is take. But God is a giver. God is not a taker. He's a giver. 